Good morning. I'm LaCammy Baker, the Interim Executive Director of the Government and Economic Development Institute at Auburn University. I would like to thank all of you for taking time to join us for this webinar. GPI's mission is to promote effective government policy and management, civic engagement, economic prosperity, and improve quality of life for the state of Alabama and its communities. As such, as our nation continues to battle coronavirus, we are happy to host this webinar today to help you understand what the coronavirus federal stimulus package means for, for municipalities and economic development agencies. Um, so much legislation has happened over the last several weeks um, that we want to help you digest some of it. And so joining me today is Jennifer Gregory. Um, Jen is the president of Downtown Strategies for Retail Strategies. Um, Jen joined um, Retail Strategies with a 10-year career in community development and downtown revitalization. She previously served as the Chief Executive Officer of the Greater Starkville Development Partnership, a community development umbrella organization that consists of the community's chamber, economic development agency, and Main Street Association where she led the organization to unprecedented growth in revenue and regional um, notoriety for revitalization and community branding um, excellence. Jen is also the founding principal of Sidewalk Strategies, LLC, a consulting firm specializing in solutions for community development, downtown revitalization, governmental relations, and public affairs, where she has represented clients in Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, and South Carolina. Uh, Jan was named a top 50 under 40 uh, professional uh, Mississippi Business Journal in 2016. Jan is a graduate of Mississippi State University where she received a Bachelor of Business Administration degree in marketing and was honored with the inaugural Spirit of State Leadership Award. Um, I'm happy to have Jan um, join us today and I hope all of you find this webinar to be of value. Um, and just as a, a note, we will be recording this um, webinar and we'll have a link available to the slides um, afterwards. And so thank you all for um, joining us. And then Jen, thank you for joining us. And I'll turn it over to you um, to get us started. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Baker. It's a real pleasure to be with you today and to be speaking to some of your constituents across Alabama. As Dr. Baker said, my name is Jen Gregory, and I'm the president of Downtown Strategies for the company Retail Strategies. Um, our company is Alabama-based. We are in Birmingham, Alabama, but we serve partners um, really across the entire country. And so um, it's a real pleasure to partner today with Auburn University, who is such a strong leader in the state for economic development and community development. Um, and it's great to be to be speaking with folks uh, from right here around Alabama, feels like home. So thank you all for joining us today. Um, I also want to quickly thank Dr. Baker's team member, Jennifer Ryan, who is the communications manager for the Institute. Um, she's been essential in getting this webinar put together, and it's just been a real pleasure to work with the Institute at Auburn, and um, we appreciate the opportunity. A couple of housekeeping items before we get started um, to those attendees that are with us today, you should see in the menu bar on the right side of your screen a place to type in questions. So as you have questions throughout the presentation, please feel free to type them there. 
And at the end, we'll be able to answer those questions that we can. Feel free to type those in at any point. It won't disrupt the presentation, and we'll get back to them at the end of the presentation. Also, as Dr. Baker mentioned, we are recording this webinar, so if you have to drop off, if something happens and you get disconnected, no worries. Um, you'll be receiving a recording of this webinar along with the PowerPoint slide deck. So don't feel like you have to take feverish notes. We'll be providing all of this content to you shortly. So let's jump right in. We have an hour with you today, and we're going to be mindful of your time. There's quite a bit to cover with the CARES Act, the Federal Stimulus and Relief Package that was put together by the federal government. We're going to do our best to break down those provisions that are most helpful to those of you on the call today. So community leaders, elected officials, um, city managers, chamber directors, economic development professionals. Um, but just as a disclaimer, there's certainly a lot more within this bill that we don't have time to discuss today. Um, we do have some resources, though, that we'll be providing you that summarize really the whole bill. Um, so we'll be providing those to you after the presentation as well. So jumping right in, how did we get here? It's an unprecedented federal relief bill um, that was that was signed by the president and will be providing aid to really all Americans. Um, how did we get here and why is this so important? Well, of course, all of you know that we're in the midst of a global pandemic, but it's really important to kind of see that this just began um, a few short months ago. So it's really been on a fast track and we've seen economies across the country and certainly globally um, responding to this as best they can. So beginning of January, January 11th is when China reported its first death. Um, and then just about 10 days later, other countries, including the United States, confirmed cases. Uh, 10 days after that, the World Health Organization declared a global health emergency, which really fast-tracked some of these policies to respond. Um, uh, February 11th, the disease uh, received a name, an official name, COVID-19, which stands for the coronavirus disease number 19. The Trump administration first went to Congress um, to negotiate for the first wave of relief and for federal funding, and that was to respond to this virus and to provide medical provisions, and we'll get into that in just a bit. Um, you can see following that on March 3rd, U.S. officials approved a second wave of funding specifically related to uh, virus testing. And then on March 13th, uh, really when Americans started seeing uh, our way of life change, and that was when the president declared a national emergency. We started seeing this um, term social distancing emerge, and at first the CDC recommended no gatherings of 50 or more. Um, since then, of course, we've seen that reduced down to 10. This slide really represents how global this this crisis is and how unprecedented. We've never seen um, things like this happen before. Of course, uh, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, locked down Britain um, on March 23rd. A day later, um, the Tokyo Olympics delayed for an entire year. We've never seen that happen in the midst of wars and, and other uh, really global crises. India, with a population of 1.3 billion, announced a 21-day lockdown. And finally, what brings us to the purpose of our gathering today is that uh, just last Friday on March 27th, President Trump signed a $2.2 trillion stimulus package act, the largest in U.S. history to provide aid 
to a variety of constituents across our country. It's important to note also that while today we're talking primarily about the CARES Act, um, there have been three phases of congressional aid that have led us to where we are today. Uh, the first phase was signed on March 6th, and that was the Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Supplemental Appropriations Act. Um, that was over $8 billion directly related to vaccine research and development. Um, before we knew really how aggressive and widespread this virus was, um, the main focus was developing a cure or a prevention effort. Um, so that's what that first wave of funding was for. Shortly thereafter, on March 18th, the president signed the second phase, which was the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. This was really when Americans started um, being greatly affected by stay-at-home orders, and uh, many were unable to work because of the social distancing requirements. And so on March 18th, over $100 billion um, was signed in aid focused on paid sick leave and unemployment benefits for workers. But what government officials soon realized was that that was not anywhere close to enough. And so um, after multiple days and hours into the night of negotiations on both sides of the aisle, a truly unprecedented um, unprecedented in dollar amount and also unprecedented really in bipartisan effort. Um, this most recent phase of funding, the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, what we will refer to it today as the CARES Act, a $2 trillion package providing thousands of dollars in direct payments to Americans and millions and billions of dollars uh, directly to corporations, Main Street businesses, and states across the country as we really look to keep our economy going for another couple of months. So how does the CARES Act measure up? We've said it's unprecedented, we've said it's, it's huge. How does it measure up? Well, it's big. It's the biggest we have ever seen. It equals 10% of gross domestic product right now in our country. Um, and it's twice the size of the largest bill ever created by the federal government which was President Obama's American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of, um, excuse me, that should not be 2019, that is of uh, 2008, which was a response to the Great Recession. At that time, it measured up to 5.7% of GDP. Um, and so this bill is um, almost twice the size of that. So we're going to talk about how big this bill is, and we're going to talk about what it does. But for, for our purposes today, I think it is important to recognize that it's, by most counts, not enough. The U.S. Conference of Mayors requested $100 billion to be provided directly to municipalities, and that part of the bill was left out. Additionally, the ratings agency Moody um, has warned that outright debt defaults and liquidations are still likely for many businesses, especially those smaller ones with speculative grade credit ratings. Um, so while this is an unprecedented effort to really stop the bleeding, if you will, in the U.S. economy, um, it's definitely not equivalent to a stimulus bill of 2008, as we discussed after the Great Recession. Um, this is not meant to, to provide stimulus to the economy. This is meant to provide immediate relief to keep businesses open for another couple of months and to keep Americans from uh, foreclosing on their mortgages 
and from being evicted from their homes. Um, it is also important to note that the policy response to this outbreak is going to be really what everything hinges on. We've seen recently that the president has extended social distancing uh, to the end of April. Um, there's a chance that that could extend even into May. So as we're going to be watching Congress for further relief bills, um, obviously we're going to be watching policy of our states and municipalities to see really how long this is going to last. This graph is a great breakdown of all the provisions uh, by category really in the bill. So while we know it's worth $2 trillion, this is how it stacks up. And so when you start on the bottom, um, we're really going to focus primarily on those bottom three categories. Um, these were the priorities of lawmakers. Corporate loans to big businesses such as airlines and other that are crucial to homeland security and to keeping the economy uh, running. Uh, the second tier being small business loans. Um, and we're going to really dig into those today. And then the third largest category is household payments, direct payments that will be made to everyday Americans, again, uh, to keep people able to feed their families and in their homes. We are going to talk about unemployment insurance and how those provisions have increased within this act, um, and then we'll get into some of the other provisions a little bit later. So the provisions that we're going to specifically talk about today are these four, direct payments to everyday Americans, opportunities for cities and states, small business loans and grants, and unemployment benefits. So first up, what does this mean for everyday Americans um, and those of us that are concerned about our jobs, our families, our paychecks? Um, well, almost all Americans are going to receive a check in the mail or by direct deposit um, in the next couple of weeks. We've seen indications from Treasury that these checks should be submitted via direct deposit within two to two and a half weeks. Um, if you have filed taxes, now I don't mean in 2019, obviously um, the tax deadlines for filing was extended into July. So we're talking about for 2018 or earlier, if Americans have filed taxes and have a checking account um, attached to that filing, that's where those direct deposits will be made. Otherwise, a paper check will be issued and those paper checks could take, uh, unfortunately, up to two, three, maybe even four months to arrive. How much will everyone get? Well, the main stimulus check or the main relief check that Americans will receive will be $1,200 per person or $2,400 for married couples that file joint. Um, there are income thresholds, and so, um, if an individual makes more than $75,000 of income as reported to the IRS or $150,000 for married couples, that amount will start to decrease. There's also an additional rebate for children. So for those families um, that have uh, children, multiple children, there's really no limit on the number of children that can be classified within this rebate program. Um, $500 per child. Um, however, there is an age limit. This is only applicable for children 16 and under. So what do you need to do? Really nothing. Um, if you file taxes, again, as I mentioned, um, you'll receive those checks um, as soon as they're available via direct deposit or paper check. 
Um, and we did get a question in a, a previous webinar about what about single parents, um, single parent households. You can see here that um, head of household filers with one child, um, the maximum threshold is 146500 for income. And then there's a sliding scale um, there within. Who doesn't qualify for these checks? Um, well, as we mentioned, people above that $99,000 individual income threshold or single parents with incomes above $136,000 um, don't qualify. Also, for your college-age children, if they are over the age of 16, uh, parents will not receive a check for them. Um, but if they are under 16, certainly they will. Also, if you have um, aging parents, that file on your taxes as a dependent of yours. Unfortunately, uh, those adults are not eligible. However, if they do file on their own, they will be. Similarly, anyone without a social security number will not be eligible. So that sort of breaks down um, who will get who will get these checks and, and how much they will be. The next section that I think most of you are here today to learn about are those opportunities for cities and states. At first, we heard word that there was $150 billion that was going to be available for cities and states, and so we thought that meant for all cities and states. Unfortunately, that was not necessarily the case. So this $150 billion will first be distributed to states based on population. So Texas, California, um, uh, Florida, those states will receive the largest amounts. However, every state, regardless of population, will receive a minimum of $1.25 billion. If there are uh, municipalities, counties, towns, townships, villages, parishes, boroughs, or any other unit of government that has a population greater than 500,000, those localities will receive direct funding from the federal government as well. Again, based on population, and you can see there's a formula, 45% um, of the total based on population will go directly to uh, those localities. That amount that goes to localities with a population of uh, greater than 500,000 will be deducted from the total allocation that the state receives. Um, now, many of you have populations much, much less than that. So you're perhaps wondering what you're going to get. Um, well, the short answer is you'll be receiving nothing directly. However, there is a provision for localities to petition their state government for funding. So if you are a community that has been hit exceptionally hard um, or you're struggling, um, financially, you can work directly with your local legislators to petition them for funding. However, it's very important to recognize that the only expenditures that will be covered within this allocation are these three that you see at the bottom of your screen. First, necessary expenditures incurred due to the public health emergency with respect to COVID-19. Second, these expenses have to not have been accounted for within your annual budget. And third, the expenses can only have been incurred from March 1st of this year to December 30th. 
So what that means is that you're not going to be able to recoup your lost sales tax revenue within this wave of funding. But if you have expenses related to uh, the public health response to COVID-19, such as extra measures that your city had to take for sanitation or um, extra police presence to enforce a curfew, for example, those would be covered costs. So a little bit of a blow to, to municipalities, to be honest, and that's why I mentioned at the beginning of this presentation um, that there were lobbying efforts to petition the federal government for direct relief for municipalities, and that was left out. However, a couple things to note. First of all, we do not believe that this wave of funding is going to be the last. Um, lawmakers are already discussing a fourth, fourth wave of funding. Um, there are some partisan politics. Part of that has to be expected. So we're not looking for anything right now imminent. Um, but do we're going to talk a little bit about that at the end of this presentation, but certainly watch um, congressional activity because we do believe that, that more will be coming. Um, and second of all, there are other provisions within the CARES Act that don't directly go uh, to municipal budgets, but are there to help stimulate your economy and to help some of the lost revenue. And so we're going to go through a couple of those right now. Just a reminder, if you have questions as we go through this, please feel free to post those and we'll answer those at the end. Um, so some of the provisions that are eligible um, for cities and municipalities and economic development organizations that we did want to highlight are through the Department of Commerce. Um, through the Economic Development Administration within Commerce, um, there is a $1.5 billion allocation for economic adjustment assistance, um, which is can be used to really rebuild those impacted industries such as tourism or manufacturing supply chains. So this revenue can go to the private sector, um, but it's also av available for those tourism initiatives, which of course many of us in the spring are, are seeing really the, um, the negative impacts of this pandemic um, in the tourism and economic development industry. $1.5 billion, though, is not a great deal um, when we're talking about a $2.2 trillion um, total act. So um, this is nationwide, and it is available through commerce. Um, but again, not a great deal of money here, but something. It's also important to notice that this bill was just signed on Friday by the president. And so um, the next steps after the bill was signed, the president directed the agencies within the federal government to begin developing processes to distribute this money. So we don't have all the answers today in terms of how do you receive this money, how do you apply for it. Um, we are just now getting information literally every day about this. And so we're gonna try to keep our website posted with up-to-date information, but it is important to note, it, to note that um, not all of the answers are available right now. Uh, but this is what we do know based on the bill language. Second of all, for uh, you economic developers that are participating today, there is support for manufacturing directly. Um, $50 million is provided for the Manufacturing Extension Partnership, which is really designed to help small and medium-sized um, manufacturers recover. 
Also know that some of the municipalities that are participating today have transit programs. Um, these can be through a local university if they are um, prevalent in your city. Um, really any transit program that is certified through FTA, the Federal Transit Administration, um, there's $25 billion available um, for those, again, COVID-related expenditures. Um, you can see that the same formula that is used to appropriate these funds will be used for the relief efforts. Um, and these, these types of expenditures could be, um, again, for cleaning activities that had to be made. If um, there were extra measures or extra precautions or supplies or products that had to be purchased um, in order to keep transit safe, these are some of the types of expenses that can be qualified. Um, but again, this will all go through FTA directly, and they have started to um, provide information about how that money will be distributed um, within their website. Also, um, CDBG funds. This is something that many of you are familiar with. There's $5 billion that is available in CDBG funds for cities and states. It is through the Housing and Urban Development Department. They're through HUD. And these funds are specified for services for senior citizens, the homeless, and public health services. Quite a bit of funding has been reserved for resident displacement. So if you are a city leader, it's important to keep track of um, any residents that were evicted or um, that lost their homes or have become homeless due to this crisis. Now, many cities are putting in provisions that prevent eviction, um, but some of that has not been done until just recently. So those CDBG funds are available for that, again, through HUD. Also, um, the Department of Agriculture has received a large appropriation for farmers. $9.5 of that total allocation has been earmarked um, for farmers, um, specialty crops, and producers who supply local food systems and farmers markets, restaurants, and schools. So those of you who have uh, robust farmers markets within your communities, um, this is a great opportunity for you to communicate with your farmers um, and your producers that they will have um, federal funding available to them if they sell directly to your market or if they sell directly to your local restaurant. So definitely, a great provision for those communities that have that farm-to-table asset and for those of you that have a, a working farmer's market. And lastly, the last one we'll point out, direct opportunities for cities and states, um, is through the National Endowment for the Arts. Um, the endowment has received $75 million in funding, and they have already distributed information to their partners um, regarding how that money will become available. It will be sent directly to nonprofit art organizations across the country to help them survive the forced closure of their operations. Um, many art festivals were planned for this spring. Um, lots of art organizations depend on that revenue as their only fundraiser in many accounts. And so this revenue will go through those partners. So. Um, be looking for your state arts commissions, uh, be looking for information from them 
on how those grant processes will work and how those funds will become available. Um, but think about art in public places also. Think about how you might be able to revitalize your downtown or your town centers um, through some of these provisions like farmers markets and the arts after um, this social distancing period really um, ends. Next, we're going to go right into the opportunities for small businesses. Now, um, there are a number of opportunities for small businesses, both with loans or forgivable grants. Most of this is being run through the Small Business Association. However, the point of contact that small businesses need to make is not necessarily to the SBA, but it's directly to their lender. So that local banker that these small businesses borrow from typically are who they need to contact. Um, those, these funds that, I, that we're about to go through are currently available now through local lenders. Um, depending on the city that you're in and how quick they've been able to implement these loans and grants will really depend on your locality. But this information is available and these funds are available now. So the federal government is supporting small businesses through aid in a couple of different ways. Before the CARES Act and just following the declaration of the national emergency by President Trump, the Small Business Association launched the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Assistance Program. So we're going to refer to that today as the EIDL. This is for small business owners in the United States. These EIDL loans are available now. Um, and we're going to go through what those provisions are. Next up, um, within the CARES Act, there is a provision for a new program called the Pay Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP. The Paycheck Protection Program authorizes up to $300 and almost $50 billion in guaranteed funds for small businesses. These loans are based on an existing program within the SBA, and it makes um, forgivable loans of up to $10 million per business available. Now, not every business is going to receive $10 million, of course, but these small businesses are considered businesses with 500 employees or less, and we're going to get into what is available and how to receive those. For you city leaders that are participating today, this is critical information for your local businesses. Many of them are overwhelmed. They're trying to keep their stores open. Um, they're trying to keep their restaurants open. And the best thing that you can do for them is to first encourage them not to lay off any employees. And we're going to get into that in just a bit. But that is certainly a takeaway that we would recommend um, is for you to encourage them not to lay off employees because that is how these loans become forgivable is if the, these employees stay on the payroll. So the forgiven parts of the loan program can be used for payroll expenses such as employee salaries, paid sick or medical leave, insurance premiums, mortgage rent, and utility payments. So a large part of operations, certainly this is not a stimulus to small businesses. Again, this is just to keep those doors open, but it's meant to incentivize employers to keep employees on the payroll. So let's dive into these two programs and how they help small businesses. Um, first, we see the Economic Injury Disaster Loan, the EIDL. So this is a, a true working capital loan 
um, that is worth up to $2 million per business at a low interest rate, 3.75% for businesses or 2.75% for 501c3 nonprofits. Um, these loans, the parameters have been opened up a little bit, so um, they no longer require uh, a personal guarantee or collateral to be put up, which certainly helps those businesses that are new and might not have a lot of assets. Um, there's no early payment penalties, and these are 30-year loans. Now, through the EIDL program, there is an immediate availability of $10,000 of emergency cash per business to be used within, or to be issued rather, within three days of the application being received. So restaurants and small businesses, if they are cash-strapped and cannot wait for um, these loans or these grants to come through, we would urge them to go to their local lender and apply for the EIDL emergency grant. Um, again, it will provide up to $10,000 through this program. Um, even if the applicant is subsequently denied for an EIDL loan, the emergency grants are still available. And again, these emergency grants can be used to make payroll and for increased costs um, to obtain goods and services, make rent or mortgage payments, and repay obligations that cannot be met due to revenue losses. So two types of provisions within the EIDL um, that you can speak to your local lender about. The second part of this program that we'll discuss today is the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, now, within the Paycheck Protection Program, there are loans and there are grants. So who qualifies for these? You can see businesses with less than 500 employees, independently owned franchises also with less than 500 employees. So this was a big um, question of national retail. Um, what if your local Popeyes or your local Nukes or any type of restaurant is struggling? They're owned by a local franchisee. Um, if the independently owned franchise total has less than 500 employees, then they would qualify as well. Similarly, sole proprietors, independent contractors, and self-employed individuals will qualify for this, which is very unusual and is a provision that was added in um, to the CARES Act. So um, this can even qualify for gig workers, such as Uber drivers, musicians. Um, so really, this program tries to be all-encompassing. 1099 employees are eligible. Um, so definitely seek out your local lender to discuss your eligibility. And as I mentioned, 501c3 nonprofits. So a lot of you that are joining us today might have chamber organizations or economic development that are 501c6. Those are not eligible, but um, 501c3 nonprofits certainly are. And the business has to have been in business since February 15th. So these can't be businesses that just open to try to capitalize on federal reserve or federal relief rather. How much can be borrowed? Two and a half times of the average monthly payroll for the previous year up to $10 million. And there is a calculation method that we'll show you in just a moment. One thing that I do want to mention that we have recently received clarification on is that the EIDL loans and the Paycheck Protection Program are designed to work hand in hand. The EIDL is mainly meant to cover costs for working capital and fixed assets, 
and the Paycheck Protection Loan is meant to cover payroll costs, interest on mortgage, rent, utilities, and interest on other debt obligations. So when a business is applying for these funds, um, first, when applying for the EIDL, make sure to clarify that your purpose is for all expenses other than those allowed under the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, so that you remain eligible for both loans and so that you can remain eligible for the forgivable portion of the Paycheck Protection Program. So a lot to unpack here, several different opportunities, um, but it's definitely important to know that there are a multitude of options um, and that your lender is your main point of contact. Now, we have a variety of resources here at Retail Strategies that we We'll be happy to submit to you guys. So after um, this presentation, we'll be reaching out to you, like I said, with a recording, um, the slide deck, and also a link to access our resources, um, some of which include a checklist for small businesses, and we also have a deep dive into the small business loans and grants. So if you're interested in those, um, we'll provide a link for you to download those, and you can share those with your local businesses. Here's a little bit of additional information on the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, the loan forgiveness is not taxable. So more good news for small businesses. This grant money that you receive, um, you will not have to pay taxes on it. Um, but again, it only applies to payroll costs, and it is adjusted for tipped employees. Um, business owners will have to provide these documents when seeking out your lender. So pretty typical um, financial documents, the last three years of your financials, your current payroll list, your rent expense, and your utility bills. And here is a model that shows how the loans are calculated. And you can see very, very simple. Your monthly payroll plus these uh, somewhat fixed costs times two and a half is what the loan amount um, will be. And again, as we've mentioned several times, and I'm going to keep mentioning, these are literally meant to help businesses stay afloat for a couple more months. Um, it, it is not meant to really resurge these small businesses or meant to help them recoup lost costs. Additionally, you can see here an example of a business with 20 employees, what their cost may be and what their loan amount may be. So, um, a substantial amount of money um, in forgivable terms, but what is not considered to be a component of payroll costs are these three measures below, um, an annual salary of more than $100,000. So if you have an employee on your books that's receiving over $100,000, um, that is not considered payroll costs, unfortunately, um, and that cannot be forgiven. It can be wrapped into the loan amount, um, but not part of the forgivable component. Also, if you outsource your employees um, outside of the United States, if that individual's principal place of residence is outside of the country, um, he or she is not eligible as well, um, or his or her expenses, rather. And then any qualified sick or family medical leave where credit has already been issued under the Coronavirus Relief Act. So, um, Again, the government's trying to be sure that businesses and nonprofits don't double dip, as there are a tremendous amount of other aid efforts um, as it relates to unemployment. So these are the basic provisions that are available for small businesses. 
Um, as we mentioned, if the business does not lay anyone off for four months, then their loan will be forgiven. Now, that does not mean four months from the date of application. That can go back, um, I believe, eight weeks prior to the application being made. Um, so, again, the message to small businesses is, if at all possible, do not lay off employees. Their payroll costs can be recouped through this um, Paycheck Protection Program. Where can you apply for your loan? Any lending institution that is approved to participate with that existing SBA 7A lending program will be eligible to distribute these funds. If you go to the Small Business Association's website, they have a tool where you can input your zip code um, and it'll tell you which lenders are approved by Treasury to distribute these funds. So again, a lot of information there, um, but we have resources that we'll be glad to provide to you um, that will help you understand exactly what those next steps are. Um, but if you are in need or your small businesses in your community are in need of fast cash, we urge you to go see your lender and request um, that up to $10,000 in emergency cash under the EIDL. So the next part that we're going to discuss are unemployment benefits. Again, uh, the, the unemployment benefits have been loosened and more um, of the workforce is eligible for these. Um, we're not going to spend a tremendous amount of time on these because we are getting quite a bit of questions, which is great. Um, so what the CARES Act does is, is uh, it creates this pandemic unemployment assistance program. Uh, beginning January 17th, 2020, and goes through the end of the year that provides payment to those typically not eligible for employment benefits, as I mentioned. Those self-employed 1099 employees have never been eligible for unemployment, but under the CARES Act, they are. Independent contractors, um, those seeking part-time employment, gig economy workers like Uber drivers, um, and those with limited work history, again, before were not eligible but now they are. What this provision does um, is it provides payments to the state unemployment offices to reimburse nonprofits, government agencies, and Indian tribes for half of the costs that they incur through the end of the year. Um, so as you know, uh, the unemployment benefits are typically run through the states. States are being inundated. Um, by those that have already been laid off or are unable to work because they may be ill from this virus, they may have a family member that's ill, or their industry um, may be um, not able to continue running because of social distancing. So um, this provides additional funding to states um, to really make up for that. Um, it also provides funding to pay the cost of the first week of unemployment through the rest of the year. So I think it's a total of 39 weeks that are now provided for through this program. Provides an addi additional 13 weeks of unemployment benefits to those who remain unemployed um, after weeks of state employment are no longer uh, available. So again, the state programs have kind of a fixed number of weeks that they pay, pay benefits for, and this extends that an additional 13 weeks. And it provides funding to support short-term compensation programs. Um, the provision pays 100% of those costs 
incurred in providing short-term compensation through the end of the year. So again, um, this is really part of the government's effort to uh, keep Americans able to pay their mortgages, keep them from being evicted, um, and to keep food on the table, really, um, for their families. So what's next? What can you do? Um, what can you do to help um, your communities and your small businesses respond? Well, um, there are a variety of things that you can do on top of what we know you are already doing, which is extensive. You're working hard to keep your community safe and to keep your, your citizens safe, and we commend you for that, and we encourage you to keep that up. Um, but we also believe that cities, economic development agencies, and property owners need to start planning now for the recovery and the rebuild. We understand that's hard to do. You're right in the trenches. You're trying to make those hard decisions. Um, but we know that there are going to be some changes in the marketplace, and we'll kind of identify those in just a moment. The other thing that you can do is certainly support downtowns. Um, those areas are what really provide the identity and the personality of your community to the outside world, and these small businesses are what makes those downtowns thrive. We know um, anywhere between 20 and 40% of small businesses are going to close um, because of this global pandemic. We hope it is far less than that, and we think that the CARES Act will help these businesses hang on a couple more months. Um, but there are going to be some businesses that just can't survive. And so the best thing that city leaders can do is to be available to support downtown um, placemaking after the crisis, um, focusing on uh, branding and identity within those downtowns is going to be critical as consumers and citizens return back to that period of social life. We know that life is going to probably never be the same for consumers. Um, and those consumer patterns are going to shift permanently. But citizens are going to be eager to reconnect with citizens within their community and with their neighbors. And the place that is generally um, really the living room of your community are those downtowns. We also encourage you to be a connector for small businesses and other eligible entities to funding. So you've taken a step to join us today. Um, we have over a hundred of you that are on the line right now that we're speaking with. And so we really encourage you to be the conduit uh, between small businesses, between nonprofits and other entities in your community that are eligible for funding and just don't know where to turn. We recognize that opportunities are typically born out of crisis. And while it's hard to sometimes think about that, Throughout natural disasters that many of you in Alabama have experienced, tornadoes, hurricanes, um, and even this economic crisis through this global pandemic, um, we know that there are going to be opportunities. And so although it's hard to focus on that now, it's important because um, we do want to mention with our experience in retail recruitment, and with real estate development that there are going to be a number of national tenants that close in many of your markets. It's not a reflection on your market. It's simply their way of responding, um, and it's simply a reflection of their business structure. A lot of national brands have antiquated business structures. They have high debt 
to asset ratios that really haven't been modernized since the recession. Um, very likely, some of those businesses are going to close or consolidate stores. But the good news is that there are a number of national retailers that are already looking at new markets to expand. They know that there is going to be available real estate, and they're already working with us to identify where that real estate is and what communities best fit their business model. So um, I do want to mention that not to panic if you see some of your big box retailers or your other large um, retailers to close up. Um, we do really believe that um, expanding retail is coming and that it is perhaps an opportunity to really um, heighten the level of your retail offerings. Um, we also know that consumers are going to shift their habits and patterns. Obviously, um, we're all seeing that right now with uh, shelter-in-place orders and with uh, the fear of getting sick by going to the grocery store and the hardware store. A lot of us are ordering groceries online. We're using delivery services. And even generations that were not familiar with those types of services are having to depend on them. So we definitely think that national grocery stores are going to move more towards a heavier focus on pickup and delivery services. Um, and we think that now is the time for businesses um, that are more local to really develop a robust digital presence. Um, again, it's really hard to focus on that when you're dealing with crisis management. But um, as consumers sit at home for longer and longer, and they come, become more familiar with technology, this is the types of services that they're going to depend on. We also want to really encourage you to monitor Congress. Um, we do believe that further aid is going to be forthcoming. It is not clear right now what that's going to look like. We do know that while um, most members of Congress are at home in their local districts right now, um, that the members of the leadership are meeting and our legislative contacts are keeping us posted with that activity. They're developing what this fourth phase might look like, um, but obviously it's very early right now as this CARES Act has just been passed and these provisions have just been made available. So um, stay in touch with us, stay in touch with Auburn's um, GEDI, and watch your local members um, of Congress and see what they say because we definitely believe that more funding is coming. Um, we do think that because um, this last wave of funding was really led by the Republicans, um, we think that the House Democrats are going to be much more involved in this fourth wave. Um, but broadly speaking, as I've said, I know a dozen times, um, this bill is only really focused on relief, we know much more is needed. So now I'm going to get into uh, the questions that we have. We have several questions that have been asked, and we're going to do our best um, to answer these. Um, we do know that, um, you know, as you are focusing on your own communities, um, you're going to have additional questions in the coming days, and we encourage you to reach out to GEBI as well as us um, to help you with those efforts. Um, so a question that we received was, how can the Fed release $2.2 trillion 
without inflation we can the value of these dollars? And that's certainly an excellent question. Um, we, we have seen a lot of commentary um, on what the outcome of this huge bill is going to be for the economy and the value of the dollar. And um, we do think that's a very valid question, although I don't really want to focus too much on politics in this discussion. Um, so I would just encourage you certainly to stay abreast of the news. That only time will tell, um, you know, and that um, we hope that this will be the stimulus and the, the relief aid that small businesses need to stay open to counteract some of those changes in inflation. But we do know that there will certainly be effect of this type of, of debt being issued. Um, the next question is, is in unemployment benefits available, are unemployment benefits available to those who have lost two jobs if they lose one and suffer reduction in income? And the answer is yes. Um, there are going to be um, restrictions, if you will, on how uh, the formula will be determined for what type of aid you will receive if you have a second job. But yes, um, the parameters have been widely opened to make available unemployment funds for many, many people that were typically not eligible. So what I would say to do with, with that is to go ahead and call or communicate with your state unemployment office. Obviously, their phone lines are ringing off the hook. Many of them have applications, uh, many states, and I think Alabama specifically, has an unemployment application online. Um, to my knowledge, does not yet include provisions for self-employed. Um, some states have said, go ahead and apply, and we'll get in touch with you when you reach your point in the queue. That's certainly up to you. I would almost recommend getting on the phone with them and just holding in the queue until you can speak with someone. The next question is a great one, and it is hypothetical. Say you have a local construction business that subs out most of their work, but due to the virus, their business has suffered due to social distancing, and the business partners have not been able to pay themselves in a month or so. Are the partners eligible for a payroll protection forgivable loan if the loan is for them themselves and not necessarily employees? To my knowledge, yes. If your salary is under the $100,000 a year uh, threshold, um, if it is over that, then you are still eligible for a portion of that, but it will be through the loan pro uh, product and not through the forgivable loans. Um, so definitely seek out your banker. But yes, essentially, you will be able to pay yourself if you've previously been on the payroll. Um, but there is that $100,000 threshold. Um, next question is great and very uh, topical for what we're talking about today. The question is, I think you mentioned that the next bill could possibly help smaller cities. We depend on sales tax revenue that are drastically dropping, and you are exactly right. You are not alone there. Um, many coastal communities depend disproportionately on sales tax, but even those that don't, um, even those typical communities that just depend on that income uh, really to pay their bills um, and to, to keep programs going within their city are hurting. Uh, there are a number of groups lobbying for this exact thing. Uh, the U.S. Conference of Mayors, the National League of Cities are all using their advocacy branches to lobby 
for relief directly to municipalities um, to help recoup that lost sales tax. And so we hope that that will be part of the fourth wave of funding, but we simply do not know. Um, and so we just urge you to reach out to any of those groups that you might be a member of. Uh, as I mentioned, U.S. Con Conference of Mayors, uh, National League of Cities, even uh, your local uh, municipal league, Alabama's um, League of Cities. Um, we would recommend that you communicate with them and share what you're struggling with. We know that they will be the advocacy branch that really helps you guys. Um, with your with your needs and, and connecting that with the federal government so definitely don't just sit back and wait let your needs be known to your local advocacy groups and your local um federations and associations because they're certainly working on your behalf um, another comment we received is that some small business owners are telling you that banks have said they won't be taking paycheck protection program loan applications Others are saying they will only do it for existing customers. Is there a list of banks that will be accepting those loan applications? And that is a terrific question. Yes, there is. So would definitely encourage you um, to go to the Small Business Association website and use that tool where you can put in your uh, zip code and um, see exactly which banks are backed by Treasury. However, because banks are going to be overloaded, um, this, they are essentially going to turn into chapters of the Small Business Association. Um, they have the right to prioritize their existing customers first. So we would certainly recommend that you reach out to your banker um, first, but there are definitely a multitude of banks in uh, cities across the entire country that will be there to help you. Um, let's see the next question. Um, I think we've already answered that one. I think this is all of our questions. If any of you have any last minute questions, please feel free to drop them in the question box. Um, but as far as my portion of this, um, I appreciate so much the opportunity to join with you today um, and to, to collaborate with you to really identify what opportunities are available now for cities, nonprofits, small businesses, and economic development agencies, um, as well as point you in the direction for future resources. Um, before I turn it back over to Dr. Baker, you can see right here on this slide our information. My email address is right here. I'm happy to answer any additional questions that you have, and we will be reaching out to each and every one of you individually with the recording of this webinar, the original slide deck, and our portal of resources that will help you and cities uh, really know what to do next. Um, but please let us continue to be a resource for you. And again, we're so honored and grateful for the opportunity to partner with Auburn University's Government and Economic Development Institute. And now I'll turn it back over to Dr. Baker. Thanks, Jan, uh, and really thank you for this presentation today. Um, we really do appreciate you taking time to share with us. Um, your presentation was really helpful in understanding the provisions of the, um, the CARES Act. And as we've heard here, there are uh, many benefits that can help our communities and small businesses weather the storm a bit. So I encourage all of our city leaders and county leaders and economic developers that are online today, please go back and share the information 
um, in your community, share with your small businesses, make sure that they know um, about the resources that are available to them. But more importantly, reach out to your legislator. Uh, make sure your, um, your legislator know what your needs are. Um, you wanna make sure that you get the resources that's needed um, to help you um, kind of through this unprecedented time. And, you know, as we look over this, I mean, we are learning a lot and we think about how we're using technology, but we also wanna make sure that, you know, as Alabamians, we are resilient. And so we can all bounce back from this. And so, as Jen mentioned, it's really making sure that we're prepared um, as we're able to kind of, you know, reduce that social distancing and being able to go back out. And so, Jen, I'd like to thank you again for working with us um, here at GDI to host this webinar. And again, thank all of you online for joining us. And please go to our website for additional information. Jen has uh, information up as well, but auburn.edu backslash outreach backslash GEDI. Um, we have resources there um, to help as well. And however, you know, you know, we can help. You can also email uh, me. I'm at lbaker at auburn.edu um, as well. And so, um, Jen, do we have any other questions that have come in? We do not, Dr. Baker. Okay. Again, thank you. Any closing comments from you, Jen? Um, I, I think that's it, Dr. Baker. Just want to, again, thank all of you and remind you that um, out of this crisis, there will be opportunities. And so uh, planning now is the most critical aspect. And as all communities across the country are facing the, the same problems, those communities and municipalities and counties and economic development agencies that employ a plan early are going to be the ones that really rise above. And so we encourage you to do that and encourage you to reach out to us and GEDI for further resources or for further assistance. And I guess, and the main thing is just know, is as you've seen the messages on TV and all over, just know that we all can get through this together. So you all have a good day. Thank you for joining us.